0: what goes on inside a man's mind what goes on i summed it up in one picture that captures it all but we're going to put this up and back it's going to go up it's going to flash up and go down because it's just too intense it's too intense for you to even have this in your mind just but for just a few milliseconds so there it is okay take it down that's it That is it right there in a nutshell. Think about that just for a few seconds. What goes on inside a man's mind? Here's my first cell phone survey question. You ready? What goes on inside a man's mind? I have no idea, or men have no idea, or mostly sports stuff, or I need to call my lawyer now. I need to call my lawyer. So go ahead and text, text in, and we'll see what you guys come up with on this first survey question. Texting in, texting in, here we go. Mostly, sp- uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh, it's moving, it's moving, and, and oh, the winner is still, close. it's close, it's close, is the winner. We're going to call it It's Mostly Sports Stuff. There it is. Okay, thanks. One person needs, needs legal assistance. What goes on inside a man's mind? I'm a man. I should know, right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because I'm a man. But let me give it my best shot. It's important. You might know a man, and it might be helpful to you. You might be a man, and it might be helpful for you to know what's really going on inside your head. What the bottom line is for your mind we will get there today. Let me tell you a few little stories from my life last week to illustrate how simple this topic is and how in its simplicity it is simultaneously complex. Story number one. Uh, I see this guy and he's wearing a, a Yankee lanyard around his neck. Now, when you say lanyard, you shouldn't have to say around your neck but because there are a lot of men in the audience, and because I'm a man, we have to say that. It just sort of qualifies the whole idea of a lanyard. So he's wearing this Yankee lanyard around his neck. And I'd just been reading in, in the newspaper about Jeter being in his last year of his contract. And so I look at this guy, and I go, Jeter's in the last year of his contract. And he gets this big smile on his face, and we have a connection. I mean, we just have a moment. Now, you can't do that with a woman. You go up to a woman and you go, Jeter's in the last year of his contract. And she probably doesn't care. She probably doesn't even have a thought about that in most cases. Might be a few ladies who don't do want to discriminate against you Yankee fans who are women. But most cases, I mean, we just just sort of lit up just over that simple thing. Story number two, I went out to, to get something to eat. And I made my order, and when it came, it wasn't what I ordered. And I said, well, I ordered this. And he said, oh, I, ho- I thought you ordered that. And I said, no, I ordered this. And he looked, you know, at me, and I looked at him, and I said, just give me a Coke, and it'll be okay. Done! We're, we're all good at that point. You see, you know, he, he sort of, you know, was in that tension of, I did something wrong, and I was in that tension of, I'm not getting exactly what I want here And we just made a quick deal, and everything just went away just suddenly. He was happy. I was happy. It's just the way you think. Story number three. This is the one I I think is my favorite. For Valentine's Day, I was playing with my granddaughter in her room where she likes to, to turn off the lights and use flashlights. And she said, I want a pink flashlight. And so I have been hunting now for a week to find a pink flashlight. Do you know how hard it is to find a pink flashlight? I have been everywhere. I've gone in every store. I mean, I am going to get this thing done no matter what. I am on a mission. So I was up at Hilltop yesterday. I thought, I'm just going to run into round trees. I ran in there. I said, look, this is kind of a crazy question. Do you have a pink flashlight? She said, I don't think so. I started looking around the store. Pink flashlight pink flashlight. But the coolest thing about this pink flashlight, not just that it's sort of a mini, which little kids like that kind of stuff, it's really, really bright, but you don't ever need a battery. It has a crank handle. See, you just And so you just wind it up, put that baby back in there, bam, bam, you're in the closet, you are happening. You are happening right there. Pink flashlight. And that's, you know, it's, the average guy's life is not rocket science. You know, we're either thinking about some sports thing, we're making a quick deal happen, we're on a hunt for something to put somebody else's life together. That's what's going on. That's what's going on. But let me take it even further. Let me go a little bit deeper and try to get to the real heart, the real stuff that goes on inside a man's mind. Let's go to a letter written 2,000 years ago by a man you think you all know. Get a picture of this guy in your head right now. Get a picture of the Apostle Paul in your mind right now. Probably looks pious. Probably looks theological. Probably maybe is encased in stained glass. Might even have a little bit of a halo around his head. Get your best picture of the Apostle Paul in your mind. And now listen to these words he wrote a long time ago in a letter that we call the letter to the Romans. What I don't understand about myself, said Paul, is that I decide one way, but then I act another. Doing things I absolutely despise. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. Parts of me covertly rebel. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Is there no one who can... Isn't that the real question? Isn't that the real question, he says? The answer is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. That's Romans chapter 7 in the message translation. Let me tell you what the first thing is inside a man's mind. The first thing inside a man's mind is a war. The first thing inside a man's mind is a war. Let me show you the genesis of that war. I know people want to find out how I could be so selfish and so foolish. People want to know how I could have done these things. I stopped living by the core values that I was taught to believe in. I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. Instead, I thought only about myself. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. The most, the most talked about, the most analyzed presentation of the week. And it just goes on and on and on. Everybody looking at it. But that's the most important part of it right there. That's the genesis of the war right there. And he just laid it out on a platter for us. The genesis of the war is in one word. And that word is entitlement. Entitlement. Here's my definition of entitlement. Entitlement is an expression of self-centeredness at the highest level. It's an expression of self-centeredness that takes place at the highest level. It's like you just put yourself above everything and everybody else, and you just demand somehow that life pays off to you, that life always makes you feel better. But that's at war. There's a war that's going on there. And even hinted at that war when he talked about his core values that he walked away from. And later on in his... Presentation, in his talk. He talked about uh, the formative years of of his faith in Buddhism and how that impacted his mind and his heart, but how he had walked away from it. And so there was this war going on inside of him. There were things that he knew he should do, and he wasn't able to do them. Sounds an awful lot like Romans chapter 7, doesn't it? There's a war that goes on inside of a man's mind. But let me show you why Tiger still doesn't get it. At the very end of his talk, his presentation, he said this, I ask for your help. I ask that you make room in your heart to believe in me again. And he's already back on the slippery slope. He's already back on, on the land of, I really don't know what life is all about. Because if it's all about getting back to a place where we can believe in him, he doesn't get it. It's almost like he's back. Now he's, he's whitewashed entitlement. He's tidied it up. He's made it look really clean and neat and good. Tiger. We don't need to believe in you. We, we like to watch you play golf, just like we, we like to see Peyton Manning play football. Or we like to see uh, in the past, we like to see um, somebody like Monica Sellis play tennis. But we don't need to believe in you. You're just a person like everybody else. And entitlement is the war Inside of us, that says, somehow I want to do good, but I really want it for me. And it brings you down every single time. The only thing that saves a man from this war inside is a total and full dependence on Jesus Christ for everything. The moment, just the moment you think you've got something covered. That that is like under your control or under your power. You've made yourself totally vulnerable to the war inside, and that war will outflank you sooner or later. It might be today. It might be tomorrow. It might be next month. It might be next year. But you will go down. Paul said, I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? And then he says, the answer is that Jesus Christ can and does. The first thing inside a man's mind is a war. It's a war of entitlement. Don't let that war bring you down. You can't fight it by yourself. Only God and Christ in you and fight that war. Second cell phone question of the morning: When it comes to work, most men mo, men think most about. When it comes to work, men think most about how to move up the ladder, supporting their team, the bottom line, first impressions. When it comes to work, their job, their career, most men think m- men think most about how to move up the ladder supporting their team, the bottom line, first impressions. Okay, we're getting up there. How to move up the ladder is up front right now. The bottom line is coming up. How to move up the ladder is on top. We're gonna give it one more second here, give it a shot. Okay, move up the ladder, still on top. And we'll give it one more move. And we're gonna call it moving up the ladder. Oh, look at that, moving up the ladder and bottom line. Almost, in, look, there it is, a tie, a tie. Oh, now the bottom line is ahead, and let's see if we can let moving up the ladder win, because I'm a man, I want that one to win. Oh, now I'm losing, I'm losing, that was my favorite. You know, if I was texting, it would win. Okay, ready, and we're going to call it the bottom line with moving up the ladder a close second. The second thing in a man's mind is this. Where am I on the mountain? Where am I on the mountain? Most men think they're either approaching the top of the mountain or possibly are at the top, or they think they're at the bottom or sometimes even underneath the mountain, maybe having been buried by a rock slide or some other catastrophic life event. But reality is this. Life is full of mountains. Life is full of mountains. And the best way to climb is with some other guys who really care about you. Therein lies the problem in a man's mind. He is geared to be more positional than relational. You know, those, those things that were close in a tie the bottom line and climbing up the ladder. Those are positional issues, aren't they? Men are geared to be more positional than relational. If I know where I am, then I feel secure. If I know where I am and which direction I'm going, then I kind of know life and I know myself. And you don't really know yourself just because you know where you are and what direction you're going. You can only know yourself deeply through relationships. Relationships make all the difference. Positions can be examined and strategies can be executed, and that's why we like them. Relationships are always messy. They're always messy in some way or another. Relationships just take time. How much time? Forever. When does that end? never ends. That's why it's called forever. Relationships just take a whole lot more time than you think you have or than you ever thought about. To have friends on the mountain, you have to tell stories around the campfire. It takes time to tell stories around the campfire. And sometimes the stories have to be about failure. As a matter of fact, until you get to the stories about failure, you're probably not really having relationships at all. And sometimes the stories will bring on some tough love. And if you don't get to some tough love, you're not really having relationships at all. And so you have a choice. You can be positional your whole life, or you can make a choice to be relational. The life is full of mountains. And the best way to climb is with some other guys who really care about you. Proverbs 27, 6 goes like this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. If, as a guy, you don't have anybody in your life who is willing to tell you something hard and difficult and painful, then you probably do not have a friend. You you have some acquaintances. You have some guys you hang out with. You have some guys you play touch football with. You have some guys you talk sports with. But if you want to know that you have a real friend, wounds from a friend can be trusted. You have to have somebody in your life that's willing to tell you some hard things in love and with grace. In Hosea chapter 6, we see this in a different way, in a different context. But I love these three verses. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains. Like the spring rains that water the earth. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. God is a faithful friend to us. God is a trusted friend. Simply because he's willing to do in us the hard stuff that makes us the better person. Inside a man's mind... He runs from his wounds, wounds from relationships. That's what that that song was about that, that was presented so well this morning. Say it loud. Say it clear. You can listen as well as you hear. It's too late when you die to admit we don't see eye to eye. Inside a man's mind, he runs from his wounds, wounds from relationships. He runs from telling the story of his life. But the only way to find his life is to tell his story and to participate in the telling of his story to other men. The important question isn't, where am I on the mountain? The important question is, who is with me on the mountain? And have I told them about my wounds? You must have at least one other man on the mountain with you at any given time of your life where you will always be lost on the mountain. I have been lost on the mountain. It's no fun. It doesn't feel good. I have isolated myself at times in my life from men because I have been hurt deeply, deeply, men. doesn't feel good. And there are times when I have opened myself back up in the hope that a relationship with a guy who cares about me, a guy who's willing to love me with grace and wound me with grace. I've opened myself up to that and once again, I have felt alive. I felt like a real man and a real person. The important question isn't where am I on the mountain. That's positional thinking. The important question is, who is with me on the mountain? That's relational thinking. Cell phone question number three. What's most important? What's most important? Competence, character, chemistry, or capacity? Competence, you know how to do some things. Character. You're becoming the right kind of person. Chemistry, the way you can relate to a lot of different people. Capacity, how much you can accomplish. Character, way out ahead, way out ahead, way out ahead. Okay, we're going to call this one early. Character. Character is obviously, I feel like I'm on CNBC. I'm going to call it early. Uh, character. Character is the deal. Character is the deal. The third thing inside a man's mind, and I'm so glad this is inside of our minds, the third thing inside a man's mind is something noble. He thinks about what God might do with him. A man thinks a lot about what God might do with him. If you go to 1 Samuel 17, You'll read a very familiar story, and the story is so familiar that we, we sometimes miss a lot of the different nuances to the story. It's a story of David and Goliath. It's been told so often that um, you expect you know, that it, it's going to go to David and the slings, slingshot and the stones and Goliath goes down. But there's something so much more important in this story. It starts out, the first verse, now the Philistines gathered their forces for war. And you know why there's a lot of wars? It's because inside a man's mind, there's a war. Uh, they gather their forces for war and it, it sets up in the first three verses that the Philistines are on one hill and the Israelites are on another hill and there's a valley in between and they're just facing each other and, and they're, 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 you know, trash talking each other and they're just kind of waiting for who's going to make the first move and that's where Goliath enters the picture Goliath enters stage right and he's nine feet tall probably all dressed up with a big helmet on he looks you know enormous bigger than anybody you've ever seen before and everybody's like oh no we can't what are we going to do now and so Goliath's out there and he's talking trash about everything and so they just they just sit out there and sit out there and sit out there day after day after day well David's father Decided to send him. David's just back home being a shepherd boy. His father sends him out there with some food. And so David takes food out there to the battlefield. And when he gets there, he runs out to see what's going on, just like a kid who wants to know what is really going on. He wants a front row seat at the Super Bowl, is what he wants. So he gets out there and he sees Goliath talking trash and he hears what everybody's saying. And uh, David asks the men standing near him. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? And then he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Which translated loosely is, who does this guy think he is? We are God's team. Who does he think he is talking to? And then he says to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And just those words alone are ludicrous in their appearance. You know, David's this little guy. Goliath's this giant guy. David's a shepherd. Goliath is a professional mercenary. If you look at it, you like, say, David's going down. He is going down. But then David tells a story. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David says, look, I've wrestled a lion. I've wrestled a bear. I just went boom, and those babies went down. You think I can't handle this job with this big smack talking giant who's talking to God's team? And then David says this Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me before deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. The third thing inside a man's mind is something noble. He thinks about what God might do with him. And here's the background story. There was there was a prize that was put out for whoever killed Goliath. You know, they were going to get Everything it was like, and behind door number three, you'll get all these things. You'll get a wife, you'll get kingdoms and power and glory. You know, and so, you know, that's what you think a man would respond to. David didn't respond to that at all. David just responded to maybe God will use me, maybe God will do something through me in my life. I want God to do something through my life. I need God to do something through my life. And in any man's life, if all you've ever gone after in your life is door number three, you have missed the whole point of your life. You've got to to grasp this possibility that God wants to do something in you and through you that's great, that has something to do with your character. At the end of the movie, um, the Private Ryan movie with Tom Hanks, there's this one little thing that happens that illustrates this so very well. Take a look at it. Don't He just wants to know that he's lived a good life. He doesn't want to know what was behind door number three that I won, that I did. Just tell me I'm a good man. And the only way you get to be a good man is by letting God do something in your life. And you need to want that so much you can just taste it. Gordon MacDonald writes, Character is a prominent theme for men in private thoughts. You're into it when you start asking questions like these. What is more important, the truth about myself or maintaining the status quo? What would I be willing to die for? How powerful within me is the drive to keep promises, vows, and contractual obligations? And then he writes, The question, what am I really made of? will most likely be asked on a day when you face a significant test. Character is always being tested. Character is the composite of a person that shows moral and spiritual structure in action. And it is perhaps the most potentially beautiful thing in all the world, he writes. And then he lists out all these different aspects of character. Character is defined by a man's sense of direction. Character is defined in the quality of a man's choices. Character is defined by how man handles his failures. Character is defined by how man responds to adversity and disappointment. Character is defined by how man responds to his enemies and critics. Character is defined by how man relates to the weak and helpless. Character is defined by how man performs when no one is looking. Character is defined by what a man dies for and how he does his dying. Phillips Brooks, a great pastor in the 19th century who wrote A Little Town of Bethlehem, put it this way, someday in years to come, you'll be wrestling with great temptation. That's the war. Or trembling under the great sorrow of your life. But the real struggle is here now in these quiet weeks. Now it is being decided whether in the day of your supreme sorrow or temptation, you shall miserably fail or gloriously conquer. The first thing in a man's mind is a war. And only Jesus Christ will win that war that is waging within you on so many fronts. The second thing is where am I on the mountain? And you can decide to be positional or you can make the better choice to be relational. It's not where you are on the mountain. It's who you're with on the mountain that's most important. The third thing is what might God do with me? What might God do with my life? What's in your mind? What's in your mind today? Dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled, always humbled to hear your truth. We're always humbled to be dissected by it. You take us apart so that you can put us back together. So we will be better in all we do and in all we are. Oh, Father, I pray for every man here that you would help him win the war that is going on in his mind all the time. I pray for every man here that you would help him not to be so invested in the position, in his position on the mountain that, that he misses knowing who he's really on the mountain with. I pray you'll help us to find real friends, friends who are willing to wound us with grace, friends who are willing to to sit around a campfire with us and hear our stories of failure. Father, most of all, right now, I pray for each man that the question inside of them might burn, that it might burn white hot. What What if God decided to do something big in me? What if God decided to do something overwhelming in my life, like something I never even thought about. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would cause each man to search for the adventure of life that you want to give them. Let each man have the heart of David, who knew his time and his place and his calling. Heavenly Father, in all these things, Give us the rich experience of the Christian faith, knowing you, living in community, reaching out with compassion to make a difference in this world. We give you this time, we give you our lives. And We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being with me through Next to Normal, this year's relationship series. We'll hit it again next January and February, and I look forward to doing that with you. Thanks for all you do, for all you are. I really appreciate you so much. God bless you.